Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. He thinks it's all coming from my calves. He's like, there's no reason your feet, you've done a lot of running before. Like, mm. why now? It's annoying. But so I've been stretching these calves and just rolling out. So I could mention a little bit about that, but I think we just fucking go. Yeah. Just go. The only and just see thing, what happens. The only thing that might you might be not careful of talking was I don't know, from a listener. If like like we think of a particular injury, so say shin splints, say you got shin splints, yeah, um, like that would be like a really important talking point, and that book that would require me to do some further reading, if you know what I mean. Yeah. In preparation, um, probably because I'm not a physio. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's only the little bit of like I oh, just avoid that little bit because uh, I don't know what to say, if you know what I mean. Sure, um, I might mention it. But um, I don't see we we definitely with the rib and like just being honest of how things are going, like yeah, that's exactly what we wanted. So and and okay. I think the key thing to mention is um how busy you suddenly got. Yeah. Because then we yeah for sure discussion point would be like we got this running program. You struggled to fit it in because suddenly because of everything that was happening with COVID you couldn't fit it in then all of a sudden it was the wrong program yeah regardless of like the rationale behind it it's like it's the wrong program because it doesn't fit with your lifestyle which comes first um because mm-hmm. yep. everyone that's listening in are not elite runners that are trying to get better but fit it around their work so mm-hmm. we can always we can always talk about how we it's got to be adaptable yeah I mean, I guess with that, we would um, we could talk about it hypothetically because we kind of dropped off your running because of your rib mm. rather than the um, work, but we would have had... But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have found time to run. I would have found time to run even if it was like running to, from A to B, you know, for work, mm. you know, rather than drive, just to make sure I got the hours in. But because of the rib, as you say, mm. that was the main reason we decided to pull back on that, I think. And that's where we kept to the exact same structure, but you reduced the volume because that's what you could fit into your schedule. Yeah. You could run for an hour and a half, but you could get in 50 minutes. And whether it yeah. was easy session or a hard session, it was okay. You stuck to the plan in that way. You just didn't stick to the plan because of the volume side. But that's because we adopted it because of work, which is completely yeah. logical. Perfect. All right. I so, flow. Uh, yeah, themes are sort of S and C, isn't it? Type of. The, the theme is, let me just close all these things down just to make sure once we start, it's not going to go boing. Yeah, okay. I'm ready when you are, brother. Let's just go. So, this is episode 1.3. Mm-hmm. 1.3. Right. I am, you ready? What I'm looking forward to is the fact that we have always like theories. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's. I like 1.3, 1. 1.2, 1. 4, then 2.1. Yeah, like go yeah, through. Yeah, then. Yeah. So this is back and revisiting episode 5.3. Hmm. Um, a catalogue of series, and each one's a different 
challenge. Different things, cool. It's a way. To, it's a cool way to have set it up. Bit of an accident yeah, from us, but these are the kind of things that are cool. Mm. Um, right, what's the time? Ten thirty-three. All right, we're good. Uh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> I'm like, you ready? <laughs> normally we start. Normally we start it with something random we're watching on YouTube. Last time it was curling. In Shona. Last time it was curling. What time? What should we pull something up? Get James some skateboard tricks. Oh, yes. <laughs> My I saw your post about skateboarding. Respect. Uh, completely un. It's just balance. They're incredible athletes, but whenever people think, "Oh, think about a, a really good athlete," they just think of like team sport athletes or track athletes, which are great athletes. But the subtleness and the skill uh, and the perseverance to be a good skateboarder is is insane. And just the creativity. Mm. You're an artist, mate. You got to take like concrete walls and rails and stuff and go right how am i going to make this look dope as fuck and they figure it out you know it's just yeah. it's crazy and i think it has this connotation of slight laziness you know beer and weed and like carefree attitude suggests that they don't put in time and effort which i've always found just crazy myth you know like they're as dedicated as any sportsman like you watch some of these guys like their their training protocols and their rehab and stuff is madness it's madness there's a uh, documentary on Rodney Mullen. That is. Mm, haven't seen that one on Mullen. Because he, I've seen a couple on like Danny Way and mm. stuff like that. But the, what's the Mullen one? Well, he he created like loads and loads of different tricks, and he is a bit of an eccentric character. But he would just sort of like disappear for hours, and he would just work and work and work and practice on just new tricks. And a lot of the time, he's not thinking, "Oh, I wonder if I could do you know move the board like that." It's he's just playing around. It's just open play, and all of a sudden, yeah. from that, he's creating ideas, and from that, he's creating new tricks. Um, and it just shows how we learn. Like, take a step mm. back and just give yourself hours just to practice and play around mm. and be curious. Um, Absolutely, be curious is the good one. You know, mm. not going always with such a. It's in the Olympics in twenty twenty one, isn't it? It is. Yeah. My boy, Nigel Houston. I think he's team captain of the USA. Oh, yeah, it's going to be in the Olympics. I don't know whether it's, I think it must be the street side of things. Because mm. there's this talk, Sean White's going to be the first guy potentially to win a gold in both the winter and the summer Olympics, right. which has never been done. If you think about it, like you're either sort of like a winter guy or girl, or you're a summer kind of, mm. but actually Sean White could go, I've gone and won it in the snowboarding and the skateboarding, two gold medals. You know, yeah. Olympics every two years, stud. The, stud. Um, because the Olympics is in Japan, I am looking forward to the sumo being in the Olympics. <laughs> you know, I love a bit of sumo. I know you do, what, mate. I know you do. Sport. You do love a bit of sumo. Sumo is a good uh, way of meandering this to strength. True. Condition. True. And that's what. So we're that's the. Uh, the aim of today, we're going to talk a little bit about S and C. So this is season one, episode three, mm. 1.3. Um, so 1 .1, and we're going to be... We discussed determinants of performance. 1.2, we discussed the running program and we looked at pro polarised training. And now S and episode three, we've got the S and C, uh, the strength and conditioning application to this challenge. There you go. That's it. So let's talk. S and C. Right. Is it worth me mentioning <laughs> the one thing off the bat, which is that I'm in a pretty bad way with my ribs right now. I've, I've actually like cracked or broke, I don't even know, fractured or whatever, two of my ribs. So I've been a little out of action, uh, which is actually, to be honest, very disappointing because I was really enjoying the training program that Phil had put together, but the answer is this is a long-term project um, and we want to get it right mm. for a couple of weeks time when we do part four, give myself the best chance of completing our goal, um, our challenge. Um, so I've kind of been pretty much like out of the game for, for what, 10 days, 12 days? I don't really, two weeks potentially. Mm. 
Well, since I last like really attacked a uh, running a session fit. of yours, well, you're a running session. Of... You you're so unlucky because the injury came about not from the program. Yeah, and that's then very clear. because you're a personal trainer and do a lot of active work, it's not giving your rib a chance to heal. Like it's right in the center. Anything you do, you can do, you know, gross movements like running or very discreet movements like breathing. That rib is still getting angry. Yeah. So you see me go from an additional program. It's just going to make it worse and prolong prolong it because you're already moving quite a lot because you have to for your job so it's yeah like, that's exactly it man it's had very little time to just do nothing and just recover mm. um but we mentioned just before we hit the record button today that like it was important to us throughout these challenges and as we go through these projects to be totally forthcoming of you and honest about when we're injured when we've been busy when we messed up when we doubled that and this is one of those times where like there'll be num number of people i'm sure listening or whatever who do struggle with injuries along the way and like this is part of the game like this we're not going to try and cut corners or pretend it didn't happen we're going to work around it um sometimes there's very little work that can be done around it in this case there's not a huge amount i can be doing other than just taking my time but yeah if you've broken your wrist i'm sure you can still do some like lower body strength work you know what i mean but so really it's going to be we're going to be looking more at what you've been doing strength and conditioning wise, but also how we came to that decision. Mm. Cause this is all about how we make decisions ultimately. So I don't know if you want to give these guys like a little overview of how you like put it together, how you'd approach this side of the, the eight week program. Yeah. I and mean, we, there was a few points that we were going to discuss and sort of link it to how we make decisions mm -hmm. for both of us. Didn't work. We, I sent you like a group of voice notes, yeah, voice notes. Yeah. Which is uh, which is how we seem to communicate. Yeah, it's um, better than text. Yeah, I'm always uh, in the car, so I'm like, put the phone down and just talk. That's probably a good thing to mention. One of the reasons why we're doing this over Zoom, because yeah, yeah, because of uh, how we've just, I've just been, we've just been completely. I mean, when we first started this, I think we mentioned this two weeks ago. Now, I was like, I had nothing but time. I had so much time. I was climbing stairs for a weekend. You know what I mean? Like I, I was trying to find things to be busy about, but work is just snowballed. Um, and obviously we're trying to make up for everything we've lost. So four hour days are now eight hour days and eight hour days are now 16 hour days. And the beauty of my work is that it's the first thing in the morning, the last thing at night on the other side of London. So I spend half my day just going from A to B. Um, and we thought it was just better to spend the time and do it like this than and be waiting for like a long, and I'm also away for a couple of weeks. So um, we thought it was better to get this one in the tank via Zoom. But yeah, combination of injury and just back to back to back to back to back work for both of us. Well, yeah, has, has meant this is probably the smoothest option right now to do part three on Zoom. Yeah. I also know that I get contact with you um, at key points of the day. So quite often, if I've got a message from you, it's um, about 20 to 5 in the morning when you're on the way to work. It's <laughs> half 8 at night when you're on the way back from work. And then there'll be little pockets, usually a mid-morning and mid-afternoon. where you're Yeah, 10.45 and about 3.15. Yeah, exactly. And that's how busy you've been. This isn't like, oh, I'm busy because, you know, I've got a nice... girlfriend needs some love and attention. Late. I don't have a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and also like, it's not a moan, like I'm lucky the job I've got is awesome, but a one hour job is actually three hours because it's there to do it then back, you know, and, and often it's underground. I'd love to say like I cycle to work and things, but it's driving congestion charge top to tail. I can't use the phone in the car. So I just, I feel like there are some valid dish excuses, but this hopefully is just that short term. Like we've all just got our lives back up to, to normal again and this will slowly taper out everything will get more fluid and and before you know it season two we're good um but yeah great ideas yeah, it's funny good. that you know exactly when i'm messaging you 415 yeah. not an emergency it's ready <laughs> and if it's a voice note at like 20 to 5 it's always a little bit slower because you're obviously just, is it well yeah you're just waking up yeah you're like just get it done was he right 
How are you doing, mate? <laughs> so how have you been getting on with your side of the training? Like, I haven't, put, by the way, just again for everyone listening, like, I don't actually really know. Like, we kind of wait to, to discuss it here so it's organic and fresh. But, like, mm. I haven't really checked in with Phil, with you with regards to how you've been getting on with the S&C side or the running side. So I don't know if you want to give us a little flavor yeah, flavor. Yeah. I'll, I'll give, like, a reflection on the, on the running side. Yeah. Um, running is, is going well. Uh, it's kind of reached uh, a peak where you remember last time we we discussed how we were manipulating volume and intensity of running and both were going up at the start because we were coming into a new program but volume was peaking around midway and then starts to go down while intensity continues to rise so i'm just been at the point of starting to come down just been at the point where i was at my peak volume of running um, so that was quite an interesting experience because we're doing everything every six days and every seven days. Um, that's how the volume to me seemed much more than what I'd ever done before. Cause I've never been a runner, but I ran. Um, mm -hmm. so this was kind of a, a big new experience for my body. And I've always thought that. I've got a good level of bounce, which is like a key quality that we want. Um, and it seems to last for a certain amount of time uh, around the mid distances and then starts to drop off. So if I start doing like a 10 miler where you're going up to like 15 and 20 K, like towards the end of that, my body tends to struggle. Like it doesn't have the capacity to maintain that bounce. And so that means I slow down. Um, it was slow anyway, but you, you slow down, everything becomes more muscular rather than more bouncy. Um, mm -hmm. So that was quite an interesting experience because um, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, I'm really feeling that. Um, when you mean bounce, you mean you just don't feel as like springy. Yeah. Off the floor, there's not as much force generated. You just start yeah. shuffling because I feel like that too. I just, you know, that that stride pattern just gets a little bit more choppy or sort of staggery, you know? Over feel over sort of okay. feeling very gazelle-like. Mm. Yeah? Well, that's quite nice while we've got the long runs, we've got the shorter runs, you know, most of it's easy. But what I have found is the large volume at the moment, when it comes to that one session every six days where, you know, shits were going real, where you've got to really put the effort in because we're doing this polarised training. You're like, oh, I've got to really put my effort in here. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're thinking, right, I need to hit certain paces. And I, I, I did, I do, but I, I find it harder than I thought I would. And I wonder if it's because I'm, you know, going through that large volume period. So as the volume starts to come down and the intensity continues to go up, I'm hoping that my running will start to feel much more bouncy, much more explosive. Um, it's just because there's a lot at the moment, but that's okay because I don't need to. Are you conscious? Are you conscious of your stride pattern in your gait, or is it something that you kind of just say, "I'm just going to try and look at the pacing and just get my body through it"? Because I, 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 I'm very meticulous of like where my foot's landing, how many strides per minute, like the amount of like podcasts and reading I've done. I, again, I'm still confused as to the right answers. Um, I've tried the barefoot shoe thing, the big springy Nike Pegasus, you know, ultra zoom, whatever it is like with the, you know, cushion like this. Um, I just was, I was going to ask you and I was waiting for the, the opportunity on a, on the podcast to say like, you know, are you consciously thinking about stride and bounce and, you know, or are you kind of just trying to switch off and allow your body to do what feels natural? Uh, a little bit of both, really. Like I know what kind of stride I want to achieve, uh, and I want to be able to achieve that without having to think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes when you get tired, you can start to see that you, you know, you might land a bit more back on your back on your foot. Um, so you then you think, oh, right, I've got to change this, and I, you know, want to try and drive my knees so that I have room to then sort of pull back my foot. I'm not landing too far in front. Um, so there's an element of that, but there's also an element of, I've got eight weeks here. Um, if I make big changes in my running stride or anything like that, that means my body's gonna have to really adapt to that new way of running. And I don't really have that 
time to adapt to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if I say my intensity of my programming is going up and up and up, and I change my uh, running stride suddenly halfway through, that means that this high intensity, I'm now uh, doing a brand new running technique. And that is just a, that's just a recipe for Double, disaster. Yeah. Because if you're changing your technique, you've got to spend you know, a good amount of time practicing it at low intensity so your body has a chance to adapt to it um, and making sudden changes on the fly. Even if it is like perceived to be a good thing, technically for you, yeah. it might be bad just because of the time that you're doing it. Uh, and that's right. what I'm, you know, I'm trying to avoid making loads of uh, technique changes at the moment. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just, I was just curious, you know, like, um, I, I'm, that totally makes sense, you mm. know, and if you were doing this over a year, you might, you know, look closely into that, but sorry, I didn't mean to, um, break your flow. So, you know, with regards to your running, you said you're feeling good, but those high intensity sessions are tough. High intensity sessions are tough. And I think they're tougher because of the amount of volume I'm doing. If you speak to like a really good runner, you'd probably think that's not much volume, but for someone like yeah, me, for you. it is quite a lot. Um, so I'm hoping as the volume now comes down, uh, you know how we talked about the 80-20 rule? I think it's probably like a 85-15 now that the volume's quite high and the, the intensity's still growing. Uh, but I think once the volume starts to come down, we're going to start to see the 80-20 rule come in, maybe even 75-25 as we approach yeah, sure. the um, 5K challenge, challenge. So that's quite nice because that's... Um, uh, structure of how much easy running, how much hard running I'm doing is, is changing and it's actually uh, gradually increasing uh, as we approach cool. the, the challenge. So, yeah, it's, nice. it's, it's one of those things where I think it's going well, but it, it's also one of those things that takes time to really understand if it's gone well. So, yeah, yeah. based on feel at the moment, awesome, excellent. So, we're on track, well, you're on track, I'm probably a little behind. I'll fucking catch up though. Um, and the strength and conditioning side of things. Mm. Um, I wonder if it's worth just starting by discussing, you know, why this is so important. I know a lot of my friends are going, you know, I'm just running, not doing any weights. You know, I just want to get good. And I'm like, mm, there's definitely a benefit to doing some S and C stuff. Now you're the smart one here. <laughs> why don't, I mean, you left a couple of notes as, as we said at the start voice notes, and I have some questions. But I wonder if you start by sort of giving us your outline like you did last week as to why perhaps this approach was taken and the benefit of strength and conditioning training alongside a challenge like a 5K or 10K, which I totally understand. A lot of, you know, um, I don't want to say part-time fitness goes, but perhaps sort of casual fitness fans wouldn't really understand that in order to run faster, there is a real benefit in strength and conditioning, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, training so run go with it tell us what your thoughts oh, yeah. star. this would, is where you do your magic brother and more and more of you SSC, it's just that little thing you add just to make it all better but it's not like the big all essential component to it which might seem weird because like i'm you know i teach in snc at a university why, why am i not bigging it up more um it's just because i think it's just that little edge and the, but that little edge is important so ultimately, you're utilizing it for two reasons. Either that you think that improving physical qualities is going to make you better at that sport, or you're, you're training to improve physical qualities so that you can train at the sport more. So there are differences. It's almost like, we remember last podcast, we said, you know, we want to make sure that we're consistent because the best, we're going to get better running if we're allowed to run more. So all the S&C that I want to try and prescribe is allowing us to run more because we've got this running program in place. I want to make sure that we try and maintain that because a lot of the specific adaptations are going to come, whether they're like cardiovascular or musculoskeletal, they're going to come from the running. But we want to make sure that we are running. Able, we're able to run. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, like going back to those stairs and it's like to get good at the skill, you just have to practice that skill. If yeah. something is stopping us doing that, then we've not planned right. Mm. So this is a way of keeping that body and us able to, to, to train, to run in this instance. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, and how I view lesson C in this particular challenge is like, okay, we're thinking of like key sessions. So if you think of like a normal week or we're doing a six day cycle, we, we, we've got four running sessions and we can add in uh, recovery sessions, mobility sessions, um, SNC type sessions within that. But the key sessions are the running sessions. Everything we have to do has to make sure that we are uh, fresh and feeling really good to attack those sessions. Most notably, the long run, maybe more so for me than you, just because I, I struggle at long running, and the high intensity session, whether it be tempo, whether it be intervals, we want to make sure that we are in good form to really attack that session. So how we structure the week has been a little bit more variable because we want to make sure that we are fresh on those days. So instead of thinking, okay, we need three SNC sessions every seven days, every six days, or whatever it might be, I've been a bit more lax with that, which is an approach I've been a bit more lax than I normally would, and I'm quite happy because I'm, I have certain physical qualities I want us to develop so that we can run more, but um, I never want to put it at the expense of the running training. So because the days where like one week your tempo run could be on a Thursday, and then because we change it every six days, next week's on a Wednesday, that means how I structure it within the week, the SNC, is going to completely change too. So, for example, um, if you've got a long run on a Tuesday and a tempo run on a Thursday, um, you know, we can yeah. get the SNC on the Wednesday because we've got a free day, but we don't want to be pushing too hard because if we push too hard on the SNC on the Wednesday, it's going to jeopardize the Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. So, that ultimately. Uh, decides like what we can include in that SNC session, and I've also tried to structure SNC sessions, make sure they're not on days as well, where um, we've got like a key session, like a tempo run, interval, or a long run, or anything like that. So SNC sessions are either programmed on a day where we're off, or uh, they're on a day where the EC run is as well, because they are kind of away from the hot sessions. So manipulating stuff changes constantly because that changes every six days rather than this every seven days. Um, so yeah, fitting it in like that has been, uh, been a different approach, which I've quite enjoyed as well. Good. Good. Mm. So how many, so you, you've obviously got a lot of uh, equipment at home and, and those actually building the gym in his back garden. He's at beef with the neighbors, but, that's for another podcast. <laughs> um, it was called the like, monstrosity. Um, there's probably not going to be as much like visual sort of stuff as we had last week, but what would a strength and conditioning session entail for you? Like give us a quick sort of overview because I know it's a broad term. People are probably thinking, mm. is this sort of, you know, with bands or weight? Do I need to, you know, take us, take us through what you've been doing, for example, say like the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, I've always seen that an SNC session could be anything. It literally could be anything if you feel that it's going to develop certain qualities that's going to improve that sport. So when you say like, I, you know, we've got all these different things of like mobility session, you've got recovery sessions, you've got strength sessions, you've got uh, sort of conditioning sessions. To me, SNC fits all of that in. And then you might take a little bit of that, take a little bit of that, take a little bit of that. And then formulate some program because you feel that is what's going to create the best adaptation for your for your athlete. Um, for us, I've there's probably a few things that I've focused on when it comes to designing what I want to focus on. Um, and one of them, which I think is quite a good thing to discuss, is the role of sort of absolute slash max strength. Um, because whenever you hear like, oh, you need SNC to be a good runner, we need to get you stronger. People often think about, okay, the squat or the deadlift, which are great exercises, but they think in absolute terms. They think, right, we've got a, mm. uh, your, your squat is at 60 kilos. We need to improve it to get you to 80. It's going to make you a better runner. And you're like, it, well, it, it, it's a lot more complex than that. And really, that might in turn just increase general overall strength, which can be used. Like, you know, we know that being stronger in general will help 
reduce the chance of injury in general. So, but I've taken the stance for us that we are probably strong or possibly too strong for the um, challenge that we've set. So that is changed. Well, yeah, talk about that because we, we've said this, uh, you know, that you're, you were coming into it a fairly heavy unit, you know, and I'd probably coming into a little lighter than I have been, but perhaps that you were not actually like the most optimal shape and size for a runner at that point. Mm. Is that right? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of you, you're a big fella, you know? Well, I spent the, the big fella. <laughs> I spent about 12, what, 12, 16 weeks, uh, yeah. sort of doing running, doing strength training, doing a bit of everything. Cause I was trying to be very much a generalist cause I didn't know which direction my training was going to, it was going to go and that's what i've loved about this project because it's like right now i'm just putting that all into practice focus, um, yeah. however with the strength stuff <clears throat> um you know that's a lot of time working with exercises where because they're heavy you're moving quite slowly whereas if you compare that to like running a 5k where you're moving quickly like the muscles have to activate very quickly to produce the force now it's quite different to how they're acting when um, moving heavy load, because it's because it's uh, you know very sort of almost slow twitch because it's so heavy. You're not moving it as fast. Um, so I've often think like what's good about absolute strength is that if you raise the ceiling of your strength, that means you've got this area here where you can improve how you produce force more quickly. And that's the key with running, isn't it? How you produce force. Yeah. So if you're spending a lot of time working on really heavy stuff, like it's going to move this, but here's the important bit of running, you know, how quickly you develop it. Because because you haven't got much time during the running stance of running, um, you're never going to produce the max, the, the forces that you're going to get if you're, you know, doing a max squat. So it's really about generating it quickly rather than just the magnitude of it. That can be increased, but um, we might not necessarily increase that by trying to raise the ceiling. So for us, I took the assumption that we're probably strong enough and we should focus on developing force quickly because we have that ceiling that is high enough to allow us to, to run. Um, like I, I mean, we hadn't worked with strength stuff beforehand with you, but I reckon if we did some work in the gym, did some deadlifting, did some squats, you'd get to a certain uh, strength of like, I reckon you could squat, you know, 80 to 100 kilos. I reckon you could deadlift, you know, much more than that. Like that's probably strong enough to run. Adequate, yeah. Yeah. So we need to focus on other things which are much more important, uh, which is, yeah, the, the speed of we, which we uh, create force. I've got an interesting story, actually. Do you remember Go. Christophe Lemaitre? Christophe Lemaitre, yeah, it's a French sprinter, right? Is he the one that throws his hands back? Yeah, it's kind of a bit Is of a actually, yeah. type of running. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, French, French guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was a sprinter that got a lot of uh, media attention because he was the first white sprinter to, uh, to sprint sub 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, so they were yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. It's possible. Um, and so what his sort of coaching group did was they took a four-year Olympic cycle and they wanted to spend the first half raising that ceiling, getting them very strong so that means they can work on, uh, you know, producing more force more quickly uh, in the later half of the Olympic cycle. So the idea is getting stronger and then getting to generate forces that are higher, but much more quickly later in the cycle. Um, so when he was like competing sort of halfway, he was, his scores were lower. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, yeah, we expect that because we've been working on other qualities. We're thinking a term, we're thinking four year planning here. Um, and there's this argument that they focus way too much on the strength side that slowed them down a little bit. That by the time it didn't get, by the time it got to four years later, he wasn't hitting those numbers. Then again, they'd they'd almost made him too strong, that he then couldn't produce force quick enough when it came to 
four years later. Race day, um, yeah. And funny enough, I can't remember. If, I can't remember what he got, but it was the. This is where we need Jamie to pull it up. But he got uh, he got a bronze medal either at the World Championships or the Olympics. But he did it in um, uh, one of the slowest bronze medal times in quite some time. Now the French government were like, "This is amazing. We've got a uh, bronze medalist here as a sprinter." But all the scientists are like. Yeah, you got bronze medal, but you've made him slower over four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I like about this story is just it shows that people think, oh, yeah, we need to get everyone stronger, stronger, stronger. But sometimes, really, you're probably, you know, too strong. Or the fatigue cost, which comes from spending all that time trying to get uh, stronger, takes away from the sprint stuff, which is trying to get you faster. Um, so yes, they're both important, but if you focus on one too much, it's going to really affect the other. Balance, like everything, balance. Mm. Have you noticed? That's interesting. I didn't know that story. I obviously, I well, I obviously, I kind of know about Christian Lemaitre. I just remember he had this very strange hand position where he like really like flicked his hands. He was almost like um, those birds, you know, with massive wings when they throw them back, like a sort of like ostrich. He was very like. <laughs> As you say, like gymnastic, that, he wasn't particularly graceful, you know. No. And I remember thinking, like, who's this geezer? But he was fast, he was yeah. bloody fast. I, I didn't know that he actually kicked on and did anything, to be honest with you. Mm. But I just think it's quite an interesting story because they're like, okay, is, yeah. we're gonna get him faster, but we're gonna make him slower first. I spent so much yeah. time making him slower that he never got faster. Similar, similar thing I've been watching recently, pretty different, but it's the same sort of idea is that a lot of these golfers have been really really piling on the pounds like becoming like you know they look like nfl linebackers i don't know if you've come across a guy called bryson DeChambeau, who's this new phenomenon in america who's like the called the science guy of golf he went through lockdown drinking like 15 protein shakes a day the guy came back looking like the rock right mm. and he's absolutely slamming these drives now creating like this huge amount of force and I was watching a very interesting thing on CBS. Like, I really enjoy my golf. So I was, you know, late night and a glass of wine watching the golf. And they had Nick Fowd on. He was saying, like, yes, he hits the ball damn far now. But the trouble is he's spending so much time in the gym and so much time trying to get this right. He's actually, like, forgetting about the practice of, like, the sort of just hitting the ball, contact with the ball, you know, shape of the swing. Everything's now in how hard, how fast, how strong. That, yeah two out of 10 of these drives are unbelievable. Like you can't beat them. The other eight are all going off from sideways because that, that practice of the skill, they've actually like tried to make him so strong and so powerful. Like his drive performance has actually diminished. And everyone goes, did you see that drive? You know, 400 yards, only Bryson can do that. Like that's what 15 protein shakes do. And they forget that actually, kind of like your French government, you've actually made him slower. He's, he's not been winning. You know, he's not been, he's been doing fine, but he was doing fine beforehand. And it's that balance between, yeah, you want to make people strong and you want to work on different things and perhaps toy around with this idea, but don't lose the fundamental sort of objective, which is get the ball as far as you can, but on the fairway, you know, because there is a second shot to play. It's not a long drive comp. The same with Lemaitre. It's like, you want to get the time as low as possible. And it must be tricky. It must be very tricky to find that balance. That must be the case for basketball players, oh, jeopardizing every sport. every sport. You know, there's these basketball players like Joel Embiid or Shaq, who, you know, they're big motherfuckers. And then there's guys who are very thin and wiry, Kevin Durant. And there's that balance. Like if you brought Shaq down and put him on a diet and took Durant, do they, do they stay the same player? And I guess when you have a four-year cycle like the Olympics, there's more freedom to start playing around, you know? Basketball is like a two-month two, week, two month off season. These guys are pretty much three, six, five athletes. It's, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? That's why everything has to be so individualized to the, to the person. Like if you start yeah. making huge changes to Kevin Durant to make him a bit more like Shaq, he slowly becomes not Kevin Durant. So it's like, what yeah. policies does he have? Right, let's see if we can use S&C to emphasize those rather than right, let's use FZ to create new ones. It's like, he's going to create mm. new quality, uh, basketball-specific qualities on the court. So let's just Absolutely. make him be the best Kevin Durant rather than making him more 
like more like LeBron or more like yeah, yeah. exactly exactly so um, interesting about the the golf though because there is um, just probably where this guy's got it from there's there's quite a lot of research on um, how having stronger vertical force so your body pushing force into the ground and reacting going straight up is what actually is that it increases club head speed so beforehand everyone thought everyone thought that the key to being good at um a golf swing would be to improve sort of rotational force yeah. really it's like baseball yeah things more simple and producing force into the ground vertically um so it's it's kept snc a bit more generalist and basic um rather than trying to be really like overly sports specific um, I have not never worked in, in golf SNC, but uh, I know a few people who have. Uh, and you can see them on like Instagram trying to highlight, um, you know, don't be too overly sports specific because the key things that's going to enhance are certain qualities that are good for golfers are the, the general skills uh, which you can get in the weight room. And so, absolutely. So, um, going back to strength, because we're not really focusing on absolute strength, a lot of our focus has actually been on um, developing force quickly. So we've, we've focused our training on ballistic training and plyometric training. So ballistic training could be um, anything which is more of a jump, more of a throw. So there's, um, there's still a sort of looks like you're winding up the spring and then you're pushing off still that kind of movement but there's no reactive ability to it um, whereas plyometrics which is a term mainly come from from the russians back in the 70s uh, it's, they call, um, it's more like reactive shock they call it shock training rather than plyometrics so the idea is that it's shocking because you're coming from uh being in the air for example and then landing like that um, I've seen a really cool old school, I'm sure Eastern European machine where they had looked like a rocket launcher like that. And they had someone in a position. That would make sense, Eastern Europe, rocket launcher. Yeah. So it was for Javelin. A couple of them lying around. So they'd have this thing on this rocket launcher come down the ramp and then they would catch it and go, so it goes back up the ramp, slowly come back, catch the ramp. So it's, it's so it, reactive. Strength training isn't just... So it's like this, down. right? Here's the javelin. So it travels down and the, what, the athlete catches it at the bottom and flings it back up like a pinball machine going... Yeah, yeah. So, so there's some cool things, but that's kind that of after. training. So that's where we've been focusing our, our training on because it's all about producing force quickly because technically you haven't got loads of external load on top of you like you would in a, in a squat. Um, so because there's less external load applied to you, you can then generate force a bit more quickly. Um, the differences between sort of ballistic training, sort of reactive training, is the time taken to do it. Um, if you think of like a bounce, like when you're running, like you're spending hardly any time on the, on the ground. So the amount of time you spend on the ground will determine what kind of mechanical response you get back. Um, so the shorter it is, the more it's going to come from the, the passive structures because muscular contractions actually take quite a bit of time to do. So if you haven't got time to, you know, the muscle to lengthen and contract and all that sort of thing, the muscle will just act still. It will just contract and not move. Uh, so that means you get more, um, more of a response from the, uh, the passive structure, so like your tendons, for example, on its own. And then if you then have a, a reactive exercise where you spend a bit more time on the ground, that gives more time for the muscles to get more involved. You can generate more force because you've got more time to do it, but then it's more of a um, contribution from the muscular and the tendons to produce that force. Um, so both are quite important because the ability to do things really quickly and train the nervous system to you know, utilize um, the passive structures so they can act like a spring, you know, where they still yep. return elastic energy yeah. that's quite important. So we can sort of work our way on, on, on that kind of thinking where, okay, we want exercises which do everything really quickly, quickly, 
And then you've got the ballistics where it's not reactive, but it's still everything trying to act like a spring, like a jump. So that's where we've been kind of focusing. So um, because doing everything really quickly is quite a, there's a large fatigue and stress component. Yeah, exhaustive, yeah. We did quite a lot of focus around just jumps uh, beforehand, before we then worked into our uh, reactive type training. So particularly for you, so because you've had a history of shin splints, and all of a sudden your running is increasing, which every time you run, it's technically a, a plyometric action. Um, I didn't want you to then have like your S&C plyometric exercise and your running plyometric exercise suddenly go bigger and bigger at the beginning. Because I think if they both were increased a lot, uh, I think you'd have problems with your uh, shin splints. Shins, yeah. So it was kind of keep things really easy at first with the S&C let yourself get used to the running and then slowly try and increase the intensity of the SNC to develop those qualities that we might, might want. Um, mm -hmm. So you did a sort of like general strength training. You did quite a lot of jumping uh, and then we slowly moved into started doing something. Did you notice on the program, something called a depth jump? We've yeah. Take a step off a box. Usually box, jump down and jump up. Yeah. So the idea with that one is that you land and then you're going to try and go for height. So because you're trying to go for height, you probably sink into a bit more of a squat when you land and then try and explode up. So there's more time on the ground. So you have more time to get more muscular effort. Now, what I wanted to start to plan a bit later was something called a drop jump where it's still stepping off the box and jumping, but the idea, instead of going for height, you're going for as little time on the ground as possible. So you're literally like, so because there's so little time on the ground, the muscular system is working a little bit differently and it's more focused on the, um, the, the Achilles tendon, for example, storing and returning elastic energy. So you can see how we try to increase intensity of the plyometric stimulus as we went along so it started with and, and and the less contact with the floor the greater the intensity is that how it the, the sort of metrics done like the more time spent with the floor the less the intensity or is it simply the force generated i mean because you're spending less time on the ground the force is less but it's really yeah. quite uh, from like a stress point of view it's it's quite a lot um because it's like people are more used to sort of like jumping and it's it's quite a lot to try and get the, the muscles involved in that way. Whereas if you're trying to manipulate something that's acting so fast, it's really focused on just key passive structures. That's a lot of stress mm. in a small area. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, doing too much of that too soon could be quite detrimental to, to the athlete. So that you typically try and build them up that way. So even though it seems like you're spending less time on the ground, but you're, so you're producing less force, but you're doing it so quickly that the stress from that is probably uh, more to the body than if you're doing a, a depth jump where you're actually um, uh, spending more time on the ground to try and get height. Gotcha. It's, it's quite counterintuitive, isn't it? It's like you think more force, therefore yeah. more stress, but this is more localized stress just because of how quick you're producing it um, mm. so that's where so the calf muscle during running i don't know why i'm doing that <laughs> it's trying to act like the calf <laughs> and you've got the achilles tendon off it but because it you're spending so little time on the ground especially when you're sprinting uh, the calf acts isometrically so it doesn't actually change length it doesn't have time to change length so it acts isometrically, but that acts as a perfect anchor for the Achilles tendon to then act as an elastic band. So you've got stiff muscle and a compliant tendon, and that's more advantageous producing, producing force more quickly, because if you wanted the muscle to produce uh, force in that way where it lengthens and then contracts, that takes more time. So if you want more time, you need to spend more time on the ground, and that means you could be running slower. Got you. So, um, so, so the so, best runners 
are spending as little contact time with the floor as possible. Mm. This is in, more in, in a basic, basic, in a basic sense, right? So, think this is more from like a sprint uh, way of thinking. The fastest runners will say you 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 start accelerating, and you spend time on the ground is like 0.2 seconds, 0.18 seconds. So you're getting faster and faster and faster. So you're spending less time on the ground as possible. Yeah. Spending less time on the ground, you need to still produce a lot of force. Um, and the fastest runners are the ones that stop accelerating much later because they can reach those lower times on the ground. So someone like Bolt mm. has the ability mm -hmm. to uh, produce the necessary forces in like 0.08 seconds. Right, that is right. rapid. Whereas uh, a non-elite sprinter... <laughs> Say that one more time. 0.08 seconds. Yeah. Whereas a non-elite non sprinter or me sprinting would probably reach a limit of, I don't know, 0.12. That seems really small, but at that level, that's mass. That, that, if you're doing that with a certain amount of steps, you know, that's the difference. Yeah, shaving off minutes. Yeah. Seconds in the 100 meter sprint. Yeah, so that Four minutes I would to stop a 10K. accelerating much earlier than Bolt. So he can, he can achieve higher speeds than I can in a sprint because he's just accelerating for longer. He can reach those higher speeds. Um, it all comes down to how you produce force quickly. So hence why we focused on sort of plyometrics, jumps, and all that sort of thing. We did that instead of the so whole other than, so yeah. I was going to say so for people that are listening who are thinking like, right, what kind of exercises can I be doing? I understand why this exercise as opposed to that type of training, but is it mainly for you been? I mean, have you been using much weight at all, or is it mainly been body weight and as you say, ballistic and plyometric work? I've um, mainly been doing body weight. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that for me personally is because I'm already quite heavy. Mm -hmm. So adding... May I clarify? Phil's not heavy like fat. Like the strength training, you know, you, you're, like, you're a strong fella. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's no reason why, you know, you'd be... What I'm trying to say is I feel like heavy is a, is a word that like, I would use on other people who eat too many pizzas. Like, you're, you're very strong. There's a lot of muscle mass to you. And you'd probably look more like a, you know, inside center for wasps than, than a runner. You know what I mean? Because there's just a lot of muscle mass on you. So body weight is probably... Would you say your body is changing? Uh, I, well, my Garmin heart rate strap is starting to fall down. Oh, really? Yeah. My, <laughs> wife, that likes chest, brother? my wife likes me really? And uh, <laughs> it's just becoming much more slim. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think there's definitely some changes. I, well, no, hold on. When I measured my body weight at yours when we started this, I was 92 and a half kilos. But right. uh, I measured myself the other day and I was 90. Okay. Now, different scales could produce differences, but it's still also logical to assume that I have lost a bit of weight as well mm -hmm. um, just because I haven't been doing as much strength work um, to generate more muscle mass because I saw it as I didn't need it like every time I take a step I've got to overcome gravity pulling me down and if I'm heavier that means I need to produce more energy to be able do you to have any kind of idea of what you think if you had to do this like all the time, do you feel like there's an ideal weight that you'd like to hold? I mean, this is not a very good question. It's more just me asking for, like a mate. I mean, I know that if I was to be like running more regularly, this is kind of the framework I'd be using. You know, I've dropped a lot of weight over isolation and feel like actually I'm at my, you know, pull-ups, you know, big heavy shit. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not be as powerful and as strong as I once was, but I know I'm lighter and quicker across the surface right now. Um, and I'm about 82. I have, I was 90 before lockdown. Mm. So I've lost eight kgs, but it has now been whatever the lockdown period has been, six, seven months, whatever it is, May. Yeah, March. So yeah, so like we're looking six months, I've dropped eight kg, which is probably a natural progression for someone that hasn't picked up a weight and done a lot of running and a lot of climbing, mm. you know, and been on the move a lot. 
Um, so this would be my like fighting weight, if that makes sense. And I just wondered whether you feel like you still feel heavy or whether you're actually starting to find this sweet spot where you feel strong and powerful yet light and smooth across the surfaces. Now, I reckon I could feel much more springy and economical if I just dropped a lot of weight. Like if I went sub 85, I reckon, you know, aside from the health issues that comes from dropping weight that quickly mm-hmm. from like a mechanical perspective, I reckon I'd feel quite springy and you'd be okay. surprised just how much five kilos affects. Like, I guess you go for a run and now put five kilo vest on and go for a run. Like you'll yeah. notice a real difference and it feels much more thing. I'm only putting five kilos on in this vest. I mean, like, you pick up a five kg dumbbell. It's not a joke. You know, like, something that break your foot if you drop it you know it's like it's heavy it just shows how powerful gravity is like it really is quite powerful and that's the thing that's constantly pulling you down so a lot of the time you need some kind of strength slash capacity to bounce because you're trying to overcome gravity constantly so if you try and ease the effect of gravity by losing weight that's going to make you considerably much more efficient um uh, I mean, we always thought that I didn't want to lose too much weight because this was one challenge. We don't know what the next challenge is going to be. So if I drop a load of weight, that means it might make it more difficult if it was more strength-based, the next challenge, or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And Yeah, you want to keep – you want to keep – you don't want to just be super dramatic either way. I've been like that before. A bit yo-yo-y, I'm going to do this, I'm all in. And then when I try and get back, it's a bit Christian Bale. You know what I mean? It's a bit like, it's probably not healthy. And as you said earlier about being a generalist, you know, I prided myself on being a generalist. I want to be able to rock climb and surf and swim and ski and do everything. And I'm not prepared to sacrifice everything for one specific event, sport, challenge. Obviously, there are adaptions and there's little ways we can sort of move around. But to be yo-yoing too much is, mm. is not smart. And there's also, um, I think I could probably get sub-20 at a relatively heavy body, body weight. Like I've seen, yeah, people yeah that, which is would be better. Whether whether I can do it in eight weeks, but that's the fun of this challenge. That's the fun, and we're we're totally aware that it may not always go to not not go to plan, but may not be a success in terms of actually hitting the target. The success for me is in doing it and trying it. Mm. Um, the result is neither here nor there. It's like, it's like the taking part phrase, isn't it? It's like you know, it's the journey, the not process. the process. The process. But but, but go. But, so now, just 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 like tidying this one up. We've obviously discussed the, the actual running side. We've discussed a little bit about S and C and expect, try to sort of hopefully give the people listening um, this idea that those two in conjunction can lead to some pretty powerful results. Uh, when we next sit down, hope, well, we plan to be in person again and hopefully that will be no problem next time around. But we're going to run through how this all tied together and... I mean, what I was going to ask you here is, do you think we're going to hit this challenge up and then report back? Or are we going to have one more to discuss our final sort of like checks before we then hit launch day and, and go for this thing? Yeah, we, we can see what happens time-wise, but it'd be quite cool to have like a, a pre-challenge. We could even split it up into a little like mini bonus podcast. We'll be like, right, yeah. tomorrow, launch date, and um, take yeah. you through how we're feeling and stuff. Um, so do you think there's, do you think that, yeah, I'm away with work, but you know, we've always got this option, but it's just, I feel like we do it better when we're in person. Um, do you, is there a way of maybe like um, last week it was super useful and I had a couple of people say they really liked seeing the chart, whether we try and get um, like just an image of perhaps a, a standard S and C session that you've either given me or done yourself just to maybe give people an idea of what, what it would entail. Because I know someone's going to message me and go, uh, listen, and like, you know, like how many and when and single foot, you know, like we'll try and give everyone a, a sample, like a demo, you know what I mean? Like a, a way of saying like, this is, this is the kind of thing we're doing. Because I know that there is one person who messaged me who's literally just trying to follow what I'm doing. And I did say like, this is until, you know, I had to take a bit of time out with the rib. But I did say to them, you know, this is for me, you know, this is, this is all very individualistic and stuff. They're like, I know, I know, I know, but they, they can make their own changes. He's actually doing your one 5k. Mm. 
um, rather than 10K. So already it's slightly different. Um, but we'll try and get some kind of like visual tool, whether that's like on the pro Progress Theory Instagram or something, maybe a story of just how, how a standard S&C session would look with regards to this. Um, yeah, because you spend a lot of time, mate, putting them together. Like you know, yeah, just yeah. spends a lot of time for us people, like doing the research, putting it all together. Um, yeah, what I'll do is I'll very useful, and then um, yeah, I'll put it all up on the Instagram page for Progress Theory. So Progress underscore Theory underscore. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll do all that and try and keep um, uh, try and keep it uh, on the main story. So that means it's there. Yeah people can keep referring back to it rather than it disappears on in, in, in the Insta story. Um, mm -hmm. I can also sort of like uh, summarize what I'd recommend for people um, yeah. who are doing something similar. Um, so my first recommendations are have a little think about your, your training history before you make a decision on what to focus on for your SNC for your running. So if you haven't done any SNC before or have done it very, very infrequently, take a bit of time just going through basic movements, developing strength very generally before you move into more uh, higher intensity stuff. So okay. they could be basic things like, you know, just a, improving your your squat your deadlift your lunge patterns any overhead uh, or um, upper body pulling and pushing um, focus on certain areas that might need some particular focus so your ankle so like calf raises focus on you know holding it at the top being quite slow on the way down because you're just you're increasing the the tissues general strength capabilities so that should be your first thing so We've assumed for our one that we've got that. We've only got eight weeks, so we focus on something else. But if you don't have that background, I would focus on that first. Uh, then I would focus on maybe more specific strength stuff. So that is how we produce force quickly and how we produce force when we are running. So I would start focusing on incorporating exercises at first which are more ballistic. So think about jumps, Yeah. think about throwing. So even if you're throwing, you're still producing force against the floor. It's all about anything where, you know, you're not slowing down when you reach the end of the exercise with that rep. Um, so focusing things around there. Uh, I would also focus on isometrics because I think anyone can do that. So any exercise where you're producing force against something that's not moving. So, at the beginning, you might have noticed uh, I was programming calf holds. Yep. You were just, you know, going into a calf race and holding it there for a certain amount of time. And that's for the reason because we talked about how the calf acts when running. It's quite isometric. It doesn't move too much because the movement's coming from the tendon. So we did quite a mm -hmm. lot of isometrics of the calf. We did quite a lot of isometrics in a sort of lungy type position where we might use a mm -hmm. towel as resistance. Um, it's more of like a split squat position because that's what we're doing. We're constantly splitting the limbs when running. So it's just improving isometric strength through there. So they're always good things to start with, the jumps and the isometrics. And you don't need a gym to do that. No, absolutely not. Then I would try and increase the intensity of it by trying to have reactive type training. Uh, and okay. you can manipulate the intensity of that by the cue that you give. So either you're going to go for height, okay, so you spend more time on the ground. You're going to go for as little time on the ground as possible, so it becomes more uh, sort of focused on the, the tendons, for example. Or you can increase the intensity or difficulty in other ways. So one, move to single leg. That's quite a big step, going from double leg to single leg. So that's quite a big step. Um, and then two, uh, you can also... If you want to land at a higher speed because that will create more forces, that means you need to come off a box that's higher. So right. we started with like 30 centimeters, which is still quite high, but then you can increase it to 40 to 50. But if you don't have the strength to deal with that increased force, you're going to spend more time on the ground because you're trying to overcome it. Gotcha. You're just pulling you down. 
Um, so yeah, that's how I would increase the um, intensities. Um, and that's not to say that we forget about all that generalized, uh, general strength training. We still have the general strength training in our SNC program. It's just that's a higher proportion of it is working towards these jumps and these uh, reactive strength training. Um, so we start very generalist and then we slowly morph it into being slightly more uh, reactive, plyometric and jumpy. Um, that would probably be it. Oh, and um, the only other thing we had was practice your landing. So every time someone lands from a jump, single leg, you know, if you if you can't land properly, you're not going to be able to land and jump up. So practice your landing first as well. That's, um... Phil, I'm going to have to run, brother. Cool. I think that was a good one. So uh, we're going to get this on the... the as always we had a few technical difficulties with the second video but good news for you it's in your dropbox it's been loading whilst we've been doing this i just nice. checked down and it's actually there so it's all in and then this one will be up asap and as always i want to hear how you're getting on loads of people say love the podcast i want to hear that's great i want to how are you like people getting on with it like are they finding improvements difficulties and we can try and help like i almost feel like the joy in this is I want to try and help as well as just discuss it. And again, Phil, thanks just so much for the detail you give us and how much study and research and like, it, it really is, it makes everything so much smoother and easier. So like, you're really fucking telling me along here and I'm very, very grateful. But the next time we sit down, we'll probably be, I think we should do like a little bonus the night before or something, even if it's like this, and then we'll have a full sit down about our reflections and how we got on with the challenge. Yeah. in 1.4 that's the one so there'll be 1.35 our little bonus yeah 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 1.3 yeah 0.5 something like that um anything else you want to add brother no I, I'm, I'm like you i want to hear everyone else's journeys as well like we're on a journey to, uh, we've been very honest with you know we don't know how this is going to go but we like to explain how we're doing it so we yeah, like to see how people yeah. doing something similar so hit us up at Freddie Reedhead. At the Pricep. Pricep and progress underscore theory underscore. And please check the YouTube channel where you can see us talk through yeah. and um, hopefully get some visual aids, especially in that last episode with re regards to that, that um, running programming. And if you fancy it, All right. leave a uh, five-star review on our podcast. Five-star review. Five Peace and love. This is our new thing. <laughs> Laters. Peace, guys. Who would it now?